Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we're joined by Stuart Whiting, who is joining us all the way from Singapore. I want to thank you for being on here. Um, Stuart is the Senior Vice President of Global Supply Chain Logistics and Planning at Schneider Electric. Stuart, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Maria. Pleasure. It, why don't you tell the, the, the viewers a little bit about yourself and maybe some, some of your background? Great, sure. Uh, well, again, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, Stuart Whiting, globally responsible for logistics and planning at Schneider Electric. In uh, January of next year, it'll be eight years of what I would call a remarkable transformation journey, uh, where we've taken a sort of one-size-fits-all supply chain uh, to one that's very much tailored uh, and sustainable and connected, and most importantly, centered around our customers and their buying behavior. So uh, it's been a remarkable journey that we've been through, and that was really uh, enabled by my former career when I was working for a global 3PL. Uh, I had the opportunity to work in many different countries and regions, really get to understand multiple different industries, and again, critically understand uh, the buying behaviors of customers and consequently what we needed to do in supply chain to meeting those exacting needs or ever-changing needs uh, in, in the consumer base. So uh, as I thought then, I'll be a, a lifer within the world of the 3PL community. Uh, but as we say, I've now jumped the fence. I'm very pleased that I did. And uh, we'll be delighted to share with you any of the learnings that I've had in that, in that career so far. Thank you. Uh, I think that gives you a pretty unique experience to be able to have worked on both sides of, of the aisle, doesn't it? You know, uh, what was perhaps maybe the uh, biggest thing you learned or the biggest thing that, that you, I guess that was an illuminating in jumping over from your world in 3PL to, to jumping over to this side? Um, amazing, because in 3PLs and logistics, particularly, you know, relationships are king. Uh, it's very much a people business in terms of you know, how you almost uh, move products, the relationships you've got with airlines, the shipping lines, with your brokers, uh, with the trucking companies, the mum and pup organizations that will support you. It's very heavily dependent on people. And to orchestrate that population, it's imperative that you truly do understand both the stated and unstated needs of the customers that you serve. Uh, in delivering the exact needs. And it's really the relationship and the relationships that you've got, the power of your network that differentiates you at the point of sale. It's what will get you ahead of the competition. It's what will be deemed by the customer as providing value. And then you've really got to demonstrate it and, and, and you know, sh show that you can uh, do exactly what you say or what's on the label. When I came over to the other side of the fence, um, it was quite surprising to me how out of touch uh, maybe operations were in the, in the face of the customer. Because again, if you're dealing with a big multinational as a 3PL uh, that's got substantial volume, those decision makers or that decision maker will often prefer to do business with, the, with somebody that's a commercial operator, somebody that really knows how to affect a network, manipulate a network in a positive fashion to deliver the desired result and that they've got the relationships to make that happen. And what I found when I came over to the other side 
Uh, and when I've now built a network of people that are on the other side, as we call it, as we were in the 3PL community, is that, you know, many operators, be it in the source plan, make and deliver, really don't understand the customers they're serving. They don't really understand, they clearly get the strategy, they understand the targeted marketplace, but they're not really, you know, embedded into that experience the customer's going through. And what I saw was a tremendous opportunity of bringing, you know, an organization that's got a tremendous reputation for the quality of the goods, uh, the, the sort of scope of the catalog of products and services that are available, um, and, you know, uh, the quality of the products and so on and so forth, how, how, how we, you know, can service people globally and so forth. But where we were lacking was really in that delivery experience that the customers were going through. Um, that, you know, whilst they're willing to pay a premium for the product, they didn't feel they were getting a premium service. So really the opportunity here was to demonstrate to the supply chain how we can turn that around and how not only do we, you know, have the right to compete in marketplaces, but how in getting the supply chain shaped properly, re-engineering the outside in demand to inside out capabilities, we can create that differentiated offering and in many instances, even a winning offering. But embedding that into the mind of our colleagues in the front office, uh, working with them on obviously the bigger projects and deals that may be out there, uh, but then critically, actually investing time with the customer to make sure they understand what you do and how you do it and how we can tweak it to really help them in what they're trying to, uh, to deliver. And what were the biggest challenges in making something like that happen? Um, the biggest challenges for me is, is around people. Um, it's around the culture piece and it's equally around leadership. So I always like to refer to it as a bit of an iceberg. Again, you know, uh, the strategy is clear. This is why we've got people in marketing. They'd be very good at touting the values of the organization, our products and services and the markets that we're uh, trying to take advantage of or, or, or competing in um, and to grow the business. But what we don't always properly address is what sort of culture do you need to bring all of that together and what's the kind of leadership that needs to be behind it to help shape, empower that culture to really make that strategy effective, really make it stick and ultimately deliver the objectives of the organisation uh, that's there. Do you think that, I mean, one of the things that, that I, it has been very interesting in listening to you speak is the frequency that you use the word customer, um, which is, which is very, you know, it's interesting to me because I think customer centricity is one of those ideals that people have, um, that they want to chase after, but on a practical level is very difficult for people to, to implement and I don't know if it's a mindset issue, a cultural issue, or if they don't really want to get to grips with what the, re the customer truly wants. What, mm -hmm. what do you think of that? Um, I think there's elements of all of the above. You know, um, I remember because I've been fortunate, I've done operational roles, sales roles, general management, and so forth. So, you know, I remember when I was in sales, we were called the smileys. And when I was doing jobs like I'm doing today, I was called the grumpies. You know, and the grumpies and the smileys never really worked together. 
except when they were maybe on a football pitch having an intercompany football game or, or something like that. Um, what I think the new working environment is truly driving is collaboration. People are realizing that, you know, thinking end to end and as a leadership, if you are able to host or create an ecosystem where people can understand the value they provide downstream or upstream in the roles that they're doing and how that makes a difference in the customer's experience, then you're onto something. Mm-hmm. And it's really about how does that leadership take down? Because again, there's always silos in communities. And you know, if you play rugby, you know, the backs hate the forwards and vice versa. But ultimately, you've all got to come together to, to win the game. And it's understanding what's ahead of you. It's understanding what those customers are really about. So for me, understanding the customer is, is a responsibility of leadership. They've got to be front and center. They've got to be willing to take essential people with them mm-hmm. to help them on that journey. You need to be able to invest in our people to share with them what it is that customers want. And I've always found that customers are always willing to tell you what they want, always willing to share how they feel. And therefore, you know, inviting customers to your factories, into your distribution centers, not just the showroom, share with them what you do and how they do it. Listen to the customer, what's working, what's not working, what can be tweaked, and really create that empathy and environment, most importantly, in a community which is collaborative and what we've recognized is that the customer buying behaviors really differ so we you know as i said to you we had a sort of one size fits all approach before and by going out and talking to our customers going out and conducting some research across the globe geography by geography we actually identified there were 16 different buying behaviors which could be consolidated into five And each of those outside-in demands would require a corresponding inside-out capability from a supply chain perspective. And because customers buy horizontally across the supply chain and not vertically, we brought communities together from the source plan, make and deliver, people from the front office to really value stream map the process that would be required in order to satisfy that demand. Now, obviously you need to protect the integrity of your P&L at the same time. So we put in some lean methodology and practices behind those processes. Uh, We really ensured that we embraced not just the existing digital architecture, but maybe tweaked it in order to create what we needed or deemed as being uh, uh, the necessity for visibility and transparency. Uh, in managing not just that customer demand, but equally what the customer was able to see. And from that, you know, did our data value chains and so on and so forth, identified the competencies and worked our way back through. But we really found that wherever we went in the globe, there was different weightings, but essentially we had five different supply chains that we needed to enable in each of the geographies that were there. So was that pretty consistent? Was that pretty consistent, as you say, in all the geographies, give or take? Yeah, that, you know, we'd have lean, agile, collaborative projects or fully flexible with the responses that we were needing to build. And it would just vary by weighting. I mean, one of the biggest surprises we had was, you know, over 40% of the customers in India actually wanted a collaborative 
relationship. Yet we were fronting the organization with very aggressive negotiators. Right, right. So, you know, we had to readdress the psychology of yeah. how we represented ourselves in the front office and then consequently how we managed in the back. Because, you know, interestingly enough, and uh, with, our, uh, with our Indian customers, it wasn't always about price. It was actually about managing the event, managing the project, managing, you know, a reliable, sustainable uh, supply to their needs and helping them, particularly in planning things like inventory and other areas like this, which meant they weren't necessarily unwilling to pay a bit of a premium on the price uh, to receiving those services. Yet we were going in there thinking this is just going to be a hardball negotiation all the way down. And, you know, we'll try and leave some money on the table so that we can walk away uh, with some grace. Um, so for us, it was just different weightings depending on yeah. where you went. You know, so there'll be some markets where, yeah, you'd have a high percentage of lean. Uh, you'd have your agile, you'll have your project, which uh, for us is very specific, engineered to order, configured to order uh, products and services that we provide. And then you'd have fully flexible and the fully flexible was really a combination pretty much of any one of those four supplies, supply chain responses or two to a given event. And that could be around lines down, quality issues, uh, unforeseen, you know, natural disasters, COVID event, for example, or black swans uh, that are there too. So, yeah, so the, what was good for us is we were able to standardize and systematize that. So we were able to lift and then industrialize, obviously tweak by region yeah. uh, accordingly, but we could then leverage uh, and ensure a lean response, even if it's an agile, sorry, a lean process, even if it's an agile response to a customer demand or need. Does that make sense? Uh, completely, completely. I mean, the reason I asked you the question about this customer centricity thing is because I mean, obviously, we're going to get to COVID and we're going to talk about the impact that that has had on businesses. But leading up to COVID, it was becoming very evident, wasn't it, that the importance of listening to your customers was separating the really talented supply chains or the really, you know, import, uh, companies that were going to survive the new era of customer centricity. Right. Yes. Then come then comes COVID. And I think it exposed a lot of cracks in supply chains, didn't it? It exposed the supply chains that were broken, the, the weaknesses. Yes, it also exposed the really strong ones too. But the companies that seem to have fared better, as, are, better are the ones that understood their clients and have responded to the needs of the clients you know, more correctly. So it's, it's as though COVID accelerated that customer centricity approach. Do you think that the future moving, moving forward, or I guess not that we know how COVID's gonna end or whether it's gonna end, but do you see a more customer-centric supply chain focus moving forward? We do. I mean, we're entering into, if we, well, actually, we're already in it. Uh, I'd suggest a good friend of mine, uh, John Gatorna, has, has shared it as well, that, yeah. you know, we're in a, we're in a, a stage of ferocious instability. Yes. Um, you know, and, and uh, I forgot the gentleman he quoted, uh, Collins comes to mind, uh, but I may be, may be wrong. Um, but um, I think that's absolutely right. You know, so there's a couple of things here is that you need absolutely to be in sync with your customers. You know, never more has demand forecasting, collaborative sales forecasting, all of these things been so critical 
to success, success, resilience, and agility in responding to the needs that are there. The, the, the second part out of this is, and I think a real benefit out of COVID, is that all of a sudden people trusted data. People suddenly had an accelerated appreciation mm -hmm. of what digitization, analytics, and automation can bring in managing such a black swan event. Yeah. And ultimately, if you can respond to the black swan, smaller, more regionalized, or customer or event, uh, you know, uh, catastrophes or difficulties can arguably be better managed. So I think the whole process helped convert a lot of people to understanding the importance of uh, integrity around transactional and master data, understood how digitization and automation, but critically the adoption of systems and tools once they've been invested in was uh, absolutely paramount uh, mm -hmm. to future success. And the if you've got visibility and transparency, your ability, again, to not just make sure that you're looking, looking after the safety and welfare of all of your employees in such an awkward time, you can equally manage the needs of your customers. And in times like this, honesty, transparency and reliability is what the customers want. Yeah. So as a practitioner of supply chain, you need to have absolute bulletproof faith in the data that you're receiving and that there is single instances of truth which can be communicated to the customer regardless of the touch point that customer is connecting with the enterprise so whether that's customer services field sales or you know anybody within the supply chain because they know the lady that's running the distribution center and you know they they belong to the same pool league or something. You know yeah. people have got inside out routes as well. What's important is the data is the same wherever they touch, and then you deliver to whatever that commitment is. That's the criticality, and you can't do it unless you've got the relationships with the customers. You can translate that into how you plan and run uh, your supply chain. But equally, if you don't have that visibility. You don't have that control and agility to manipulate against the demand and have an honest enough relationship. I beg your pardon. Uh, have an honest enough relationship with um, um, with the customer, uh, then they're going to appreciate the transparency of what's being shared. And that together, and again, this goes back to that word collaboration, you know, you can pretty well work together to get into an ideal solution of what's there. And particularly when you're in black swan events. I mean, we had instances where, you know, we had inventory in the wrong places. Hey, hey, surprise, surprise, I'm sure it happened to many people. But equally, some of our wholesalers and distributors had too much of inventory we needed. Right. You know, so we reached out to them. We know what their demand patterns are. We know what they've got. Can we buy that back off you? Can we redistribute that over there? By the way, we've got, so, I mean, we really did turn into, in the early days, street traders, but we had it at hand. We had the information and it was really being able to match up demand with availability and then manage that experience with the customer. So a lot of the work we've done since 2013, I would say, came to the forefront in COVID. It showed us where we'd, obviously made the right choices, made the right investments, had the right ideas, but equally showed us where we needed to accelerate, where maybe we were being a little bit too complacent in certain areas, 
Uh, but now we need to really ramp down and, and double bet or, or double the investment to, to get it back up to where we really need to be. So, you know, very, very tragic uh, situation, of course, but I think it's been an excellent uh, learning experience for supply chains uh, uh, in terms of, you know, their resilience and agility, but equally uh, the, the criticality of customer centricity and digitization. And again, you know, I, I say this all the time, the um, opportunities that are coming out of COVID, you know, because that's what you're referring to here, uh, not to downplay the virus and the severity and the, the damage. But uh, do you think that there is an opportunity here for supply chain leaders to perhaps emerge with a, a, a bigger voice in the, uh, uh, the way that the organization plays or the way the organization moves? And, do, and also, do you think that there's an opportunity here to create maybe more customer-centric, more sustainable business models? Absolutely. Um, you know, and again, I wear this with both hats, well, three hats, if I haven't been a general manager or country president, if you wish, um, to running sales teams, to running operations as well. But I think the forward-thinking CEOs recognize a number of things that you know, the closer the supply chain is to the customer, the more efficient it's going to be in how it operates. And it's mm -hmm. just common sense, it's logic, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so for me, that collaborative relationship is, is critical. Uh, and particularly, again, given, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the real volatility of where we are in the markets and where we're going in the future. I think the other thing is, is that, the forward-thinking CEOs recognize that the competitive marketplace around products and services is high. It's extremely high. And it goes back to papers that were written in the 1990s and uh, early noughties that basically said the final differentiator will be supply chains. It's not mm -hmm. the product. It's not necessary. It's really the service and what gets wrapped around that. So it's not just making sure you've got the capabilities to play. It's really how will the supply chain differentiate and ultimately put an organization into a winning uh, position in the eyes of the customers that they're wishing to do business with. And then last but not least is, you know, supply chain is a, an incredible generator of cash if it's managed properly. Um, you know, and again, one of the things we're very proud of here is that we've actually monetized um, a lot of what we do in the supply chain and uh, have actually created, you know, I'm not going to go into the specifics of the numbers, but a considerable, and I'm talking about, you know, tens, almost hundreds of millions of euros each year for the activities that we do for and on behalf of our customers at their request. So it can really differentiate. It be a game changer. Yeah, it's, it's a game changer. I mean, but, but can, I, can I say something with regards to sometimes people I've heard and, and, you know, that we have been referred to in supply chain as a cost center. Supply chain is a cost center. Supply chain is a cost center. What's it people have always been talking about? But yet the more progressive supply chain leaders keep talking to me about supply chain being a cash generator. Right. Uh, why do you think there's so much divide there in that in that thinking? Is that old thinking versus new thinking? Is that just more progressive thinking? What, what's what's the reason for that? I'll be controversial here and say it's Jurassic. Oh, I love that. Um, I love it. So to me, that's Jurassic thinking. 
you know, when I joined Schneider Electric, you know, logisticians were basically people that had failed elsewhere within the organization. And it was yeah. a glorified community of box pushers, you know, because we had a strong moral sense of uh, lifetime employment for, for, for individuals, which is great. And I, I fully embrace, you know, those sort of values. But we've really worked hard to show how logistics and logistics and planning working together can truly differentiate how a supply chain uh, operates and generates cash. It's, it's, it's the the efficiencies we can bring. Yeah. <laughs> but Better equally, that cash you know, is going to be the diff the great game changer, the great differentiator. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you actually totally understand your cost to serve, mm -hmm. and you can sit there with a customer and basically give them uh, the choices to help them differentiate. Um, and, and talk about what's possible, what's not possible, and where would there need to be additional uh, uh, charges, then quite often, you know, you're, you're, you're providing even further value to your customers, and quite often, from a convenience standpoint, something they're very willing to pay for too. So let's get a little bit practical with regards to, you know, our audience, some supply chain leaders in multi, multinational, yeah. different companies, different industries, et cetera. Some of them working in businesses that are as progressive as, as what you're suggesting, you know, that see these opportunities. What would you say to those people that are perhaps maybe on the you know beginning of that kind of journey, transformational journey? What, what advice would you give them? Mm. Um Great question. Um, first thing I would say is read Dr. John Gatorna's book, Dynamic Alignment. Okay, this okay. really does talk to how do you bring the outside in to inside out capabilities? Uh, whilst I tease John on this, uh, be a little bit more broad minded around the digital journey and mm -hmm. the challenge that comes with that. But really invest the time with the customers. I mean, I, I'm a strong proponent that do not re-engineer, do not touch your supply chain until you truly understand what it is your customers want and where you think you want to go as an organization. It's really critical that you've got those two uh, pieces picked through. And then it really is sit back, engineer the supply chain backwards, always having that customer in view. And then really optimize what you can from a systems and tools and data perspective to driving that real time, what I would say, if efficiency and agility and resilience in meeting those outside in demands. And critical to that is then truly understanding the competencies of the now and the near future and what you're likely to need to invest in. And the now is, as in now in the next six months, near future is literally in the next 12 months. And in the longer term, you're talking 18 months. So one of the things now is that, you know, you've really compressed down the acceleration that these systems and tools, data, automation can bring. And you've got to make sure these people are there. And I think what this does is, and what I really like about this, is it really now opens up competencies across the age diversity too. You know, where you've got our younger generations who are incredibly digitally savvy, able to collaborate almost seamlessly in a digital fashion as well as virtually. Um, 
with then the pragmatism or what I would call the tribal knowledge of making it relevant in the real world of business uh, yeah. and bringing these communities together. And again, having the right leadership that can recognize the strengths of the cultural and age diversity and so on and so forth in driving uh, success, I think is a unique skill. Uh, so really getting that competency map right, understanding how that's going to affect the customer journey in terms of the needs that are there, and then really empowering that team to work in a collaborative environment with shared results and, and gain uh, is, is equally something very key. Because again, it, and it's proved too many times, you can go and buy the best systems, buy the best tools, get the best consultants. And all but if of you've this got the stuff, wrong people. If you, if, exactly. you, the people, yeah. if you don't take the people with you or you don't have the, the right kind of yeah. processes, it'll all fall down, which is why so many transformation projects fail. Absolutely. So, you know, as a leader, one of the things I always focus on, and you may have heard the, the phrase before, but everyone's favorite radio station, you know, WIIFM, what's in it for me? <laughs> you know, so you've really got to sit there and think from the associate in the, in the warehouse or a distribution center to a clerk in the procurement, logistics or planning, right through to DC plant manager, category managers, whatever else, as you're thinking of that customer journey and that value proposition, what is it that those individuals and that community together are going to generate? And again, this is something I think we've done particularly well, is against those five supply chain responses, as I spoke to before, mm -hmm. you know, we've got a total of 17 different customer segments that we serve. But you walk into a distribution center or you walk into one of our factories, you will see the one or two dominant segments or customers that are served from that facility. The right. personas of those customers, what do they do? What do they expect? What do they want? And what's the role and the function of that facility in providing that experience? So again, it's just a constant reinforcement coaching and support and empowerment of the teams and what i would say is almost like a continual drip feeding of reminding why you're doing what you're doing and how valuable it is so for me again understand the customers but really translating that back to the physical operations that you manage or orchestrate or the network that you're you're working with but really concentrate on the organizational change management competencies and truly envisage the culture that you're going to need to groom or to create in order to facilitate and allow you to achieve the ambitions that are there. I don't know if that helps. Tremendously, tremendously. I think I think um, you know this. There's a lot of there's a lot of noise and a lot of hype right now, right? There's so many people focused and fixated on the technology side of things. You know, you hear all the time about AI and machine learning and blockchain yeah. and control towers, and which is which is great which is lovely and, and great and, and it is going to take us forward, you know, tremendously. Uh, but I think what you've just said there, customer centricity can't just be a nice to have, a nice word out there. It's got to be deeply embedded into your culture, deeply embedded into the way that your teams operate. And that's what you're yep. saying. Absolutely. And, and again, I think the new leaders of today um, need to really make sure they've got not only those collaborative skills, the ability to coach and support, but what I would say is bimodal management skills as well. So, you know, you've really got to be able to manage the day-to-day -day operations and create an environment where 
again, it's transparent. People are focused on the right things, doing the right activities to, to drive the right results, but equally be continually on the path of transformation, you know, because mm -hmm. consumer and customer demands are changing by the hour. The, the We're piece not of predicting. change. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're not predicting, you're not sensing, and you're not thinking about it, you can be left behind in a quarter. You can be left left behind in a in a half year. Um, so you know the challenge is on the leadership of today. Um, unfortunately, it's doing nothing for our golf handicaps. Um, but you know you've got to practice these bimodal behaviours because, of course, we've still got the analysts out there that we need to keep happy. Uh, but we've got to make sure we've got an organisation that's still generating uh, the results we require for the future. Well like we said, the pace of change is so dramatic. And, you know, with COVID added to the mix, the volatility, uh, this ferocious volatility that uh, Dr. John Gatorna was talking about and that you've been talking about is just the new normal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stuart, I want to thank you for being part of this podcast series. I really appreciate you coming here to chat to us and hopefully we'll have you here again. Stuart Whiting, thank right. you so much. Been a pleasure, Maria. Take care.